my um, parents were very much anti-apartheid, very much kind of um, social justice Christians, missionaries who were concerned about problems of race and colonialism. We and this was discussed around our table, you know, yeah. uh, uh, around our and we had refugees from the apartheid struggle in South Africa who were fleeing South Africa and came to or through Swaziland. And we sometimes had people like that as guests oh. in our home. And so these questions of race and colonialism and, and missions and religion just were like always there <laughs> for me, I think. Um, and I took some detours along the way, but that's what I ultimately ended up wanting to do. You're listening to Crafting Theology, presented by the St. Louis University Department of Theological Studies. On this podcast, we talk to scholars about the key life experiences that shape the direction of their research. We hope these conversations illuminate both the how and the why of theological studies in a changing world. Rachel Lindsay. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Theological Studies, um, and it's my great pleasure and joy to be talking with Tisa Winger, who is uh, associate professor of American Religious History at Yale Divinity School. That's correct. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. One thing uh, this series wants to do is sort of open up uh, conversations between faculty and graduate students and, and undergraduates. So just a question to, to throw out at you. When you're not wearing your scholar's hat, when you are not in the archive or um, uh, uh, researching or, or writing or teaching, what are, you, what are you doing? Well, I'm either hanging out with my family. I have three kids, and often that means playing ping pong with my youngest son, who's 10, and is better than me. <laughs> <laughs> Or I'm in my garden because I have a big garden and I like to like produce lots of vegetables. You have a garden in New Haven? In Hamden, which okay. is just north of New Haven. You're, you're here on campus to uh, talk about your most recent book on religious freedom, The Contested History of an American Ideal. Um, but I wanted to sort of talk with you more generally about how you came to the subject of religious freedom, uh, particularly as you lay out in the book and in your previous scholarship in relation to uh, race and empire in America? Yeah, that's a great question and really um, a useful one for my purposes, I think, because I'm not a legal historian and I didn't start out my scholarly work thinking I would you know, study the topic of religious freedom. I kind of came to it through the back door, um, really through my first book, which is on the Pueblo Indians of New Mexico. And I was interested in colonialism and missions, which I still am, mm. and, um, and in questions about the category of religion as a foreign category for Native people and for, you know, really for many cultures around the world don't have a word or a concept that translates directly as religion. Um, and so I was interested in investigating how Pueblo Indians came to conceive of their traditions as religion. 
it's too long of a story to get into how I got to that question. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, the argument that I ended up making in the book um, that I wrote out of that project, which was started as my dissertation, um, was that it was to make a religious freedom argument under... um, U.S. law. That never went to the courts, but it was a kind of, um, they protested with some um, non-Indian, non-Native allies, protested the suppression of their dances using the language of religious freedom, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I argued it it was really only in so doing in their case that they came to conceive of their traditions as religion. And so what are the consequences of that for them? That's what the book is about. Um, and so, the, you know, then it was like, oh, religious freedom. <laughs> Interesting. And then religious freedom ends up in the title of that book. And that kind of led me to the second project, which is the big religious freedom book, because I wanted to ask similar kinds of questions on a much larger historical scale. And I thought none of the existing scholarship on religious freedom did anything like that. You know, um, how does it intersect with colonialism, imperialism, racism? Um, What does it mean for a colonized people like Native Americans to make religious freedom appeals? What does it do for them? What are are, are the consequences for them? Um, Also, how does that, how, how do such appeals reshape the traditions on whose behalf they're being made, as I had kind of realized was the case for the Pueblo Indians. And so that, that's really where this project came from. So I just started doing research across the board, everywhere I could think of. I mean, the book w- was for a while in my imagination of it, even bigger than it ended up being mm-hmm. in terms of historical scope. I thought I was going to do all of U.S. history, like who talked about religious freedom and what did it, what kinds of cultural and political work did it do for them? Like everybody everywhere at all times. <laughs> 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 and that turned out to be too big. Yeah. So I scaled it back. Yeah. yeah. So you start, when, when do you start? Uh, when, does, when does the narrative start for you? I, well, the book really starts with the Spanish-American War in 1898. Um, although each chapter... Most of the chapters end up sort of looking back earlier than that Mm -hmm. historically. But um, I took a kind of perverse pleasure in starting with the Spanish-American War because it's, you know, really because it's not often talked about in connection with the history of American religious freedom. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, But it was one of the places I got to over the course of my research on this book because, you know, again, I was sort of casting a wide net for research, like historical newspapers, archives, who was talking about religious freedom, where and when. I didn't. I wanted to go beyond what was already in the secondary sort literature because the secondary literature I felt was sort of, you know, the t- the top. You know, what was a good religious freedom topic was sort of like very well known and established. And I didn't want to look at that stuff. I wanted mm. to look at other stuff that nobody was talking about. And in this kind of wide net of the Spanish-American War showed up, and the Philippines showed up, 
And I was initially, I was intrigued because I had no idea what those topics had to do with religious freedom. But in my like keyword searches, you know, um, there they were. So I wanted to know what they had to do with religious freedom. And that, that's kind of why I ended up starting there. And, and also because as the project developed, as you mentioned, um, you know, I realized that I really wanted to talk about how kind of religious freedom in American history intersects with with race and empire. And the Spanish-American War and the U.S. conquest of the Philippines is kind of like this period of high, you know, this high imperialism. It's U.S. empire at its most blatant mm-hmm. <laughs> and proud moment. Um, so just, just to um, push this a little bit further, I guess um, part of your argument, if, if I'm reading it correctly, is that race is created out of, or at least uh, certain populations in the United States are able to claim a new racial status by claiming religious freedom um, as it's articulated by uh, white Protestant Americans. Um, so what is the connection between race and religion that you're, you're finding in these sources? I've been interested for a long time in how race and religion as categories of identity work to define each other, mm-hmm. you know? So intersectionality is a kind of buzzword in in recent years, and religion doesn't often get put into the intersectionality conversation, but I think it does belong there. And um, in that way, being a white Protestant is different in all kinds of ways from being a black Protestant or from being a Native American Protestant. But the race and religion affect each other very powerfully. Um, now, to get back more directly to your question, the first argument that I make about race and religious freedom is that the kind of dominant discourses of religious freedom in American history have often supported the politics of white nationalist Christianity um, or a kind of white supremacy That's that historically, and I think often in the present moment as well, are tied up with um, Christianity. And, and, and religious freedom talk, as I call it, reinforces those associations. Mm-hmm. And I see that historically in all kinds of ways. But at the same time, because it's such a legally and culturally and a kind of um, powerful discourse as part of like what it means to be an American is to celebrate religious freedom, right? So other groups appeal to this ideal as well and try to kind of insert themselves into that Americanness by means of appealing to this ideal. First of all, by appealing to religious freedom, sometimes that's connected to efforts to access whiteness racially. So for certain European immigrant groups who his, who in the 19th or early 20th century were not considered fully white, like Jews, like some um, ethnic Catholic immigrants. They were racially stereotyped in the way that race worked in that period, mm-hmm. right? By appealing to religious freedom, they're emphasizing their communal identity as religious rather than as racial. And that, so I kind of make that argument in the book that it's one of the ways in which Jews become white, for example. I, there, there have been, there's a whole bunch of scholarship on how Jews become white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and 
I am not trying to say that like, oh, this is, you know, all those things are wrong. This is how Jews become right. I'm just trying to say this is another piece of that puzzle, right, that um, other folks haven't paid attention to. So I know you're a historian. Um, if this is what makes you uncomfortable, don't feel like you have to answer it. Um, but do you think that there's, uh, well, do you think that these arguments, these histories that you've uncovered in the early 20th century help us to understand what's going on with religious freedom today? Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> Would you care to elaborate? <laughs> Anna. Uh, you know, I think that religious freedom now, again, is being used as a kind of um, battering ram on behalf of um, kind of white Christian nationalism hmm. um, in a very exclusionary way. Um, it's also... and. And we see, you know, another piece of my argument, which I think is maybe possible because of my training in religious studies, although I am a historian, I'm trained in religious studies, which means I'm asking certain kinds of questions. I mean, I, I think people in religious studies tend to be more theoretically in, um, engaged and more interested in questions like I was talking, discussing earlier about the category of religion, right? So I think religious freedom talk, again, that's a phrase I use in the book now, as well as in the past, um, is also performing some of the cultural work of delineating what religion is. Mm -hmm. And it's about, oftentimes arguments about religious freedom are also in part arguments about what is legitimate religion, what is good religion, what is bad religion, mm -hmm. what counts as religion. Not deliberately so, but effectively so, right? Um, so I, th I think I, I, I see that happening, for example, when the topic of religious freedom these days is almost entirely invoked in relation to a very narrow set of issues around sexuality, contraception, abortion, same-sex marriage, etc., right? And the right of conservative Christians or the the desire of conservative Christians to claim a right not to not, not to kind of pollute themselves in any way okay. by any contact with those things. So, you know, that kind of um, that's what we jump to when we talk about religious freedom mm -hmm. these days. Um, religious freedom historically and religion historically and religion as thought of and practiced by diverse communities in the United States as well as around the world. It's about so much more than those things, right? So religion in our public discourse or religious concerns in our public discourse gets con get constrained to that narrow set of concerns. And I think that's partly because of the politicized nature of the sort of religious freedom battles that we have going on now. Um, so that, that, that actually sort of tees up my next question really well. So um, thank Good. you for that. Um, so SLU is just now starting a new undergraduate minor in religion, yeah. law, and politics. Um, some configuration of these, these three um, categories. Um, do you think scholars or teachers, especially um, in religion and theology, have any unique insights or contributions to these um, concerns, to these questions, to these conversations? Um, yeah, I think see my previous answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As you uh, said, it kind of I mean, set up the question yeah, because yeah. it is. Um, I I think 
you know, in in the field of religious studies, there's all these this sort of heated debates in some circles about what the relationship is between theology and religious studies, right? And whether those even belong in the same kinds of departments. And, you know, you and I both teach at institutions where they're absolutely together. Um, but, I mean, it's sometimes uncomfortably so, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but scholars of, of, of theology, scholars of religious thought, and historians of religion, to a large extent, are are also, you know, in addition to the kinds of questions that I was raising earlier, are very much attuned to the um, the nuances of of um, religious thought, and and depending on you know who you are <laughs> as a scholar, also religious practice. Um, in ways that I think get missed in by scholars of other disciplines often. So those pieces, those pieces are also important that um, scholars of in religion and theology can bring to the table, as well as these kinds of questions I'm asking in my scholarship about um, how the category of religion is constructed. Uh, I'll, I'll leave on a, or I'll end on a, another softball question. Um, so how you and you alluded to this earlier. I'll give you space to talk about it. Um, how did you first become a scholar of religion? <laughs> um, I think the most honest answer stretches back to my childhood. Isn't aren't. Uh, isn't it autobiographical for most of us mm-hmm. <laughs> in Absolutely. one way or another? So my parents were Mennonite missionaries um, in six different African countries. For And so a lot of my childhood memories are from Swaziland in the 1970s, which when I look at it back at that time now I realize just how recent independence had been. Mm-hmm. Um, Swaziland just recently renamed itself uh, Eswatini, which is uh, in the Siswati language, okay. the name of the country, rather than you know, kind of rather than using the English name of the country. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was there, Swaziland is also almost entirely surrounded by South Africa. My um, parents were very much anti-apartheid, very much kind of. Um, social justice Christians, missionaries who were concerned about problems of race and colonialism. And this was discussed around our table, you know, Uh, around our, and we had refugees from the apartheid struggle in South Africa who were fleeing South Africa and came to or through Swaziland. And we sometimes had people like that as guests in our home. And so these questions of race and colonialism and, and missions and religion just were like always there <laughs> for me, I think. Um, and I took some detours along the way, but that's what I ultimately ended up wanting to do and wanting to work on. Um, I think I've got time for one more question. Sorry. Um, so as, as you know, I'm sure this is um, the same everywhere, but there's always a, an, a, a, an appeal to... Um, uh, students to consider the humanities as um, uh, in terms of majors and um, uh, what how they spend their time on, on campus. What is your strongest pitch today for studying religion? And <laughs> um, 
Wow, there's so many ways to approach that yeah. question. I think like any humanities discipline, the study of religion brings um, critical thought, ability to read critically, think critically, um, gain a kind of deep understanding of cultural diversity mm-hmm. in ways that are invaluable. All of those things, I think, are invaluable no matter what people do with the rest of their lives. Right. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. It's been a fun conversation. Thanks for listening to our podcast. A special thanks to the Departments of Theological Studies and American History for hosting Tisa Wenger for a lecture on religious freedom. Please subscribe to Crafting Theology on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. This podcast was produced and edited by Craig Sanders and Mitchell Stevens of the SLU Theology Digital Communications team. For more information on the St. Louis University Department of Theological Studies, Programs, and Faculty, visit our website, slu.edu theology.